Hey, welcome to Beggar's Bread for this bonus episode. Uh, as you may be aware, here at Beggar's Bread, we welcome Christians and truth seekers to engage with thoughtful resources in an age of disinformation. Our name is Inspired. Inspired. Right, Nick? Inspired? So inspired. So inspired. So holy. By D.T. Niles. <laughs> Evangelism is just another is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread each week or in this case the bonus episode we bring you a sermon podcast or in this case article or video is what i normally say that's what i normally say but you know i'm pretty much saying whatever i want because this is the last second to last episode is a bonus episode. yeah who gives a crap i bet you the, the music that we do i bet it's all done by now people are probably like you're supposed to be done by the end of the music (laughs) <laughs> no, no, this is still the introduction. <laughs> 52 seconds in, it's fine. Oh, it's this fine. is good. All right, this week we bring you, or this episode, bonus episode, we bonus. bring you Owning the Libs. And with that, <laughs> I'm sorry, I barely <laughs> came up seriously. with that on the fly. <laughs> on the fly. Oh, man. This is to all our lib friends out there and, and non-lib whatever you want to call it i'm sure people probably consider us both you know some probably non-liberal people probably like you're liberal and liberal people probably you're conservative and you're probably right so anyway yeah we're we're striking that fun little intermediate area yeah of course that just gets critiqued on both sides it's great we love it we're here for the exhausted majority (laughs) consider us in and with that this is luke in Wisconsin, and I'm here as always with Nick in North Carolina. How's it going, Nick? Hey, the final, final bonus episode. I think we said that for our last one, but this is the one that everybody has access to, so it's a little different. Yeah, that so was fake I'm doing news. Good. This one's real. Oh, that's good. So good. How's Luna? How's your cat? How's Ringo? How's your other cat? <laughs> Oh, because I asked you so many personal questions on the last episode that we recorded. Did you? I don't now remember. you're trying to get me to disclose my location. All I remember is last episode I talked a lot about wanting to make a mini golf course, which that desire is still there. Don't don't. I get think me it's wrong. fun. No, I'm here for it. If you want to incorporate some like laser tag, uh-huh. um, laser some tag lock-ins, throwback to 2008. <laughs> Man, did you ever go to a lock-in? Uh yeah, I did. like for I went church to stuff. Maybe one or two. It was like at a YMCA. It was fun. I guess that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to get in, you have to, you know, you have to be paid, and then you're locked in. It's kind of like the article recommending, which has a paywall. What? You know no, what it doesn't. Saying? What it doesn't? I'm no, sure it mine does. didn't have a paywall, and I don't. I don't have New York Times. This now it might Times. have a literary wall in that people it's don't the Washington... read like. 50 minutes of an article <laughs> wait wait wait. are we reading the same article is this the the washington post the opinion that's the new york times by robert kagan oh the new york times is the washington post <laughs> oh my gosh is the washington post it's by robert kagan either way oh, we need our to start constitutional crisis is oh, already here this is embarrassing no no, no, no. i wonder if Wait, uh, let me check the email. What did I send me? you? You sent me that. Hold up. Well, I mean, it's fake news. It's definitely you can't even figure the... out. Oh, it is okay. October seventeenth, that is Sunday at eight thirty-seven a.m. Nick Bauer sent me. Hey, what do you think of recording an episode in December talking about this article? Question mark. 
And then the URL is HTTPS colon slash slash www.washingtonpost.com slash opinion slash 2021 slash 09 slash 23 slash Robert dash Kagan dash constitutional dash crisis forward slash. Awful. Awful. Okay. Well, we okay. So that being said, there is no paywall on mine, but I did get New York Times mixed up somehow. Okay. Um, are we... Oh, whatever. We'll move on. We're good at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Survive, adapt, overcome. So let's let's summarize this article that Nick, our re- residential woke co-host, is saying. <laughs> he's he's uh, sending thanks, me this I article. <laughs> he's like, hey, Luke, we should do this. And I was like, all right, cool. That sounds fun. And then this guy makes a big hot take. He's like... First, I'm not quoting him, Donald Trump will be the Republican candidate for president in 2024. And then he says some other stuff. And then he says, second, Trump and his Republican allies are actively preparing to ensure his victory by whatever means necessary. And then he says, the stage is thus being set for chaos. Imagine weeks of competing Mass protests across multiple states. Oh, I might have skipped a couple sentences in there that were important. Anyway, keep going. Keep no, going. Is, I was just reading it like this. Um, okay, this is my basic takeaway. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but just my not my takeaway. My um, my understanding of the article was like, hey, just so you know, there's going to be a constitutional crisis at the next election because whether Trump wins or loses, he's going to claim that he won the next night. And then that's going to just bring massive chaos. And meanwhile, we should do something. Oh, this is crazy. Why are we not doing something? Um, yeah, tell me more about what, what made you think of this article, Nick. What what were you like? This is a good article to bring up to people. Well, first of all, I, I feel like you summarized it pretty well in that uh, you got all the little, the key parts across, what is it, like... <laughs> half an hour of reading so you know we definitely summarize everything perfectly well you don't have to listen to or read our resource you know no that's not true i did not do that perfectly (laughs) well as much as the that was good i like that that's how i read things that's exactly how you read yeah in your head and out loud and it's going well but uh honestly my first impression of it was i don't know because like in my head it seems it feels so alarmist but then, like, as I continue on reading through the document or through the article, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot presented there that just kind of reinforces this notion of what the title is indicating that our constitutional crisis is already here, right? Um, and then also just highlighting throughout the historicity of the ways in which Trump administration and then his kind of lackeys are just going about subverting election cycles across state legislatures and giving more power to state legislators to overturn elections in which the you know federal government has more insight into and so i think it just provided me with a lot more context for something that on the surface feels like i said so alarmist but is actually grounded in reality so like i always want to whenever i've been recommending this article to people I'm like, okay so it sounds alarmist the title is very provocative yeah but please read it because it's like it does have content in it that really poses the question of yeah what next like how do we 
engage with this and like i think it does put it bears the brunt responsibility or puts it on to the gop really which i thought was fascinating one thing that i think is oh there's so much because you know i don't i don't really like to predict the future publicly <laughs> about politics um, but it's certainly a yeah honestly that that's very true <laughs> all the time in private <laughs> just letting my thoughts out there just kind of get an idea of what other people think it's plausible that Trump could win the Republican nomination now I do want to say I don't know if I've said this before in the podcast for even understanding how Trump won the nomination sometimes people are like when they think back to 2015 16 they're like how did Trump even get the nomination of the Republican Party I do want to explain this is why some people like Jonah Goldberg are nostalgic for a more parliamentary idea where the party itself, like representatives of the party, choose their candidate. Because in the system we have where things are decided by primaries, if you have 17 Republican candidates, um, hypothetically, and maybe out of that 17, you have, you know, like a Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, where they might be seen more as a disruption to the system. And this can also happen on the Democratic side as well. So I'm not just saying this is on the GOP. It's just that Trump was such a yeah disruptor I think is a fair description by all um and then you have maybe I don't know 13 14 15 other candidates who are more institutionalists or at least more traditionally conservative in other respects if you have a let's say for example you got 30 percent of the Republican Party wants a disruptor and 70 percent and these are voting members in the primaries want someone who's like a more moderate or more conservative or just less um, obnoxious for just, again, I think these are fair descriptions by literally anyone, even the most diehard Trump supporters. Um, 70%, let's say the Republican Party wants like a Mitt Romney or a Scott Walker or Marco Rubio. Um, this is back in 2016. So I know some of these people have different reputations now because of different events, obviously. If you divide up that 70% by 14 or even by 10 or 5, the math is still going to lose to that 30% that's all concentrated on the disruptor or on Donald Trump. Um, so the way our primary system works, I don't remember why I started talking about this. Um, like ending up with Donald Trump could totally happen again. Um, I don't see that as like a crazy idea, especially after his presidency. It doesn't seem like the Republican Party really had the guts to confront him after January 6th. You know, there was those seven. That is one thing that I don't really like about uh, the reporter Kagan's article is I really liked most of it, or at least a lot of it. But then when he says about the GOP, the uh, Mitt Romney and the other six Republicans in the Senate who voted to impeach or remove from office, I should say, he says... Um, it was a brave vote, a display of Republican virtue, especially for the five who are not retiring in 2022. All have faced angry backlashes. Um, and he gives some examples. Um, when it comes down to concrete action that might prevent a debacle in 2024, they have balked. Or in other words, he says, yet as much credit as before, yet as much credit as they deserve for taking the stand, it was almost entirely symbolic. I would say... Um, I, I would disagree where I would say, no, I think that's a, a pretty concrete thing to vote. And before Mitt Romney, I'm in the first impeachment proceedings with Donald Trump. 
I'm pretty sure he was the only member of the same party of a president to ever vote to remove from office. So I would say that's a pretty concrete thing. That's one thing that I would probably disagree with uh, the reporter. But anyway, um, I'm kind of rambling, Nick. Before I get to our our title, why we named it Owning the Libs, (laughs) any any other thoughts about all the things that just spewed out? What I thought was most fascinating for me about the article was how it does a good job in depicting Trump as truly like a unique figure within our American political history uh, in the sense that like really they do hone in on he's done, you know, something that no other politician has really done before him and creating that cult of personality that not only like transcends reality, but really does garner like they talked about how it's not just Republicans are being drawn to him. It's libertarians as well. And it's also Democrats. And so like there's these different pools that he's drawing from um, that I just thought was so fascinating to, to talk about and how even for the people that we view as like, you know, Republican icons, like you could say like Ronald Reagan, right? For example, he wasn't without detractors from his own party in that unlike Trump, he could do wrong. Like there was criticism from him from a majority of perspectives, whether that was his approach to marriage or other things like he definitely had major critiques throughout and it wasn't kind of this diehard loyalty that we see within um an era of trump i think so i just thought that was fascinating they talked about that because it is truly uh an interesting time to be alive for sure within the realm of american politics and seeing how things shift across the political spectrum so you may be wondering why did you name this owning the libs doesn't seem like you're uh you're very like republican or even like super ultra conservative whatever you want to call it right winger blah 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 i love blah 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 handy phrase there it is um, it's been a theme of season five it has indeed we just call it season five blah 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 i mean we've been talking so much anyway um that's no, true yeah people want us to shut up that's why we're quitting no, <laughs> we're quitting i quit you can't cancel me because i quit there you go yeah because i'm done that's how you own the libs you just quit you just quit uh no so talking about this phrase um i've been thinking a lot about this podcast and i know the reflection isn't until the final one side so this is a little early but yeah no spoilers I'm, i've just been thinking about like how unsuccessful <laughs> I have been in convincing pretty much anyone of pretty much anything. <laughs> I'm not even going to share my thoughts yet because I'm saving it for the other. Yeah, okay, so. that's fine. Well, I'm just going to work with this little reflection here. Um, and uh, I'm struck often, you know, when I'm having conversations with people and just thinking, wow, I'm just like a totally different world of just information consumption and what I believe about everything. And sometimes, uh, you know, this podcast, I, I've it's I've enjoyed it. It's been helpful to organize some thoughts. It's been good. Uh, but there's been times where I'm thinking, you know, I'm not able to convince people of things. And sometimes I think that's just a matter of, like, maybe needing to focus on other things. Maybe, like, hospitality and friendships. And, you know, it's like maybe we're not meant to persuade everyone that we meet. Um but at the same time, um, I don't think it's bad to try and think about persuasiveness or not. And one thing I noticed, I was having a conversation with a friend and 
they were they just mentioned owning the libs kind of passively or not passively but flippantly in a conversation about their they said something like oh yeah if i was on facebook i can always i'm always tempted to write a comment to like own the libs and it was an interesting phrase because at the time i didn't really know what to say um because uh you know that generally what i think that means is i wanted to embarrass or shame or kind of deconstruct arguments from liberals to show them you know how ridiculous their their ideas are which generally i i don't think conservatives have the corner on all truth (laughs) so i'm not really like and even if i did i'm not really into like shaming people into persuasion i don't think that's very effective and it kind of just hardens people and makes them more upset but i wish in that conversation instead of just moving on i just stopped and said oh like tell me what do you mean by owning the lips and then you know maybe they would say well um, you know i'd say a comment that shows how stupid their argument is or something like that and then i i guess it would just you know i guess this is a socratic method i'm not you know i'm not socrates i'm not great at this i don't even know if this is technically the right way to call it but then i would ask you know what and like what would that accomplish right um and maybe they would say well it would teach them that they're wrong and maybe it would but again i don't i'm not really convinced of that and i'm i'm more and more persuaded that to persuade people we got to work with where they're coming from right and I, I go back and forth because part of me is like, I like the format of a podcast like Nick and I have done because we get to start fresh instead of a conversation being controlled by, let's say on Facebook, I actually deleted my Facebook recently, so I, I'm not even, not even on there, but let's say, and, yeah, I know, <laughs> or now meta, right? <laughs> I deleted my meta. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> that joke. I don't know where that was going with that. It's okay. Let's say someone makes a really outlandish claim. And um, let's say, for example, you know, if it's, I could see this either way. I could see progressives comparing Trump to Nazi Germany. And I could see Republicans referring to, or conservatives referring to Biden as Nazi Germany or Hitler or whatever classic you know everybody it's like oh you know when someone's political argument's gone really far they say something like that if you respond to a post like that on facebook in a way you're actually letting that post dictate the conversation so in one sense it's like well i don't really want the post i don't want conversations to be dictated by these just really silly posts because they're not really going to go anywhere right they're just kind of going to be ridiculous um so then it's like oh let's go over to this podcast thing where we just say what we think on sources we're thinking about and then we can guide the conversation well in one way that's true you can frame a conversation but another way somebody might just be like sitting there listening to your podcast and be like well they're missing this and this and this and not feel listened to so in another way i'm thinking about persuasion is actually really hard is engaging with people in a conversation not necessarily like a one-time conversation, but over time, over many conversations, over years potentially. And that's hard work. <laughs> that was my thought on owning the libs. That uh, It's actually hard work <laughs> to try and persuade someone. Yeah, persuasion doesn't exactly uh, give itself room for conflicting narratives. <laughs> but yeah, I find myself caught often because I think... Well, that hard work doesn't sound plausible. Like, it just sounds like this isn't going to work. And I want to just kind of 
clean and you know, I wash my hands, walk away from it. Um, then there's this, there's this little excerpt from a, actually a Holy Post episode. It's Sky Jathani, um, back in episode 343. They're actually, they don't have their normal setup for that episode, but Sky shares a, a panel discussion he was at at Taylor University. So this is episode 343. Um, they, Holy Post released it on March 20th of 2019, just to give you that reference. And I'm just going to play a little bit into my microphone. So if it sounds a little funny, that's why. Because it's literally my phone speaker going into a microphone. But this is what keeps me sometimes from kind of just walking away from talking about politics. Michael just did a great job of helping alleviate the pressure you feel. Let me put it back on. <laughs> Balance each other out a little bit here. Uh, in Romans chapter 13, which has taken on new life since our former Attorney General cited it, in Romans chapter 13, Paul says that you should submit to the governing authorities because those authorities are only in place because God has put them there. That's right. And this verse has been abused in many times, in many eras, in many places to justify all kinds of horrific right. governmental abuse of power and on and on. Yes. But I want you to think about this. In our form of government, who is the highest authority? That's right. Really? What does the Constitution say is the highest authority in our country? We the people. God has put you as the governing authority in this country. That's right. And just like Caesar or Cyrus or Pharaoh or David or any other ruling authority in Scripture, you will be held accountable by God for the way you exercise that authority. So that's... Um Actually, he goes on. I could probably play more, but I figure if you want to listen to more, you can you can go to that episode. Um, specifically, start around thirty-one minutes if you want to hear what I started at. Um, he goes on to talk about voting, and he talks about how you know, yeah, he, he does think we have an obligation to vote, but then he says beyond that, if if that's the only view you have of your obligation as a citizen is to vote you're really, um, you're cutting yourself short, like of your full obligation. You have more responsibility than just voting once every four years or every two years as a citizen of a, of a country. And that is really a profound thought as a Christian. Again, obviously our podcast is to both Christians and truth seekers, regardless of their uh, creed, but speaking to Christians from another Christian saying, look, God, According to our Constitution in Romans 13, God put us in authority as people who have power in the United States. And my power is not just limited to voting. It's also trying to figure out what's going on in these complicated situations with other people. It's obviously in praying for authorities. It's also in contacting senators or representatives. And uh, perhaps being very active in a certain area. Obviously, none of us can be active in all different areas. Um, but anyway, that's something that it always brings me back. Like It's just like stuck in my brain the first time I heard it. I was like, oh, wow, that is a profound change of how I view my place in the structure, like politically. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Nick? Well, I mean, it kind of ties in with how the Holy Post has really framed themselves, at least, like, I'm trying to think of when I started, it was in the last couple of years, right, in which they're talking about, like, you know, creating common good Christian content. And so 
thinking about it from that perspective of what's benefiting the common good and like what role Christians have to play in promoting that common good with, like you said, the power that we have given where we're at in this country and the sort of power that the constitution has given us as citizens. Um, it definitely makes me feel more empowered to engage on that front than, I don't know, there's definitely different streams of Christianity that are less engaging in the political system. Um, And that can, I mean, I think that has different degrees and facets to it, but I feel like this kind of emphasis on our role within society as Christians and our responsibility to our neighbors um, just really does. Yeah. It speaks to me and it kind of like draws me in, in a way that perhaps the, (laughs) the previous messages that we grew up with hearing, you know, um, the voting once an election cycle, like that's it, like that's your commitment. And it always had to be a certain way. And it wasn't always necessarily promoting, that common good or taking into consideration the other is more looking at self-preservation. I think it's a, it's a new approach that was well, not technically new, but it's new for me uh, within the you know, last five years. And so I feel like it's something that can be raw and it can be challenging for people to kind of come to grips with. But I do think it is kind of like that, that better way that Paul talks about. Yeah, I mean, well, tell me more about. I'm not sure the better way. I'm not. Maybe I'm missing the reference you're you're saying there. Like the better way of love and the way it's looking out for the needs of others. Oh yeah, like a no greater love has someone than this to lay down their life for a friend or or yeah, down. and just like well, also thinking about how they frame um, First Corinthians thirteen, right? Was the Second Corinthians Romans. 13? <laughs> No, not that one. The The whole love chapter that people frame oh, within the yeah, context of marriage, but it is... That's 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, it's embodying the Christian ethic of love and how that frames everything we do. Yeah. Well, that's all the thoughts I've got for this. Um, I think you're totally right, Nick, about... Um, obviously, different Christians can have different convictions about how to engage with a government and politics i'm just saying for me in particular that's something that often uh, i feel very torn about kind of feeling tired of trying to convince people of things and then also being like well i don't know that i have the option to just be like eh, i don't care so i'm gonna not care which can be exhausting yeah which makes it a lot <laughs> a lot harder to sometimes feel that that motivation to engage um Especially if you're, like we've talked about in previous episodes, you feel politically homeless. Yeah. We've covered a lot this this season. Politically homeless was this season. All right, well, if you liked this bonus episode, that's great. If you didn't, well, we're almost done. So, I mean, good for you for making it this far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Unless we'll you see. just picked up in season five. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, thanks for joining us, whether it be for season five or for this one episode or for several seasons. We'll see you back this Thursday for our final episode called The Farewell. See you on Thursday.